This show is brought to you by hospicechaplaincy.com, promoting excellency in professional hospice chaplaincy. You can find the Hospice Chaplaincy podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play Music. For more information, you can visit hospicechaplaincy.com. We are your hosts, Joe Newton. And I'm Saul Abema. Before there were hospice companies, there was music therapy. Just after the Second World War, physicians began noticing the positive effects of musicians playing for soldiers suffering from what was called shell shock. For decades, most music therapies worked exclusively with veterans. Today, thousands of music therapists work with dying patients and their family to fashion sessions aimed at reducing pain and anxiety playing everything from banjos to bongo drums to harps. Hospice music therapists try to forge personal and trusting connections with patients. Our guest today is Victoria Storm, a music therapist. Victoria, thank you very much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I am a board-certified music therapist. I've been working in the field on uh, a variety of capacities in a variety of settings for mm, maybe 25 years already. Ooh, maybe more than that. That's a frightening thought. But uh, it, it is the truth, and, and I have found myself um, in an amazing uh, part of music therapy in the last several years of my career doing hospice music therapy. Mm. And um, I have found that hospice music therapy and medical music therapy has been um, many more days are filled with joy than sorrow, mm. and it's an incredible place for me to be able to serve my community through music and uh, a way to to hold people um, and hold hands with them virtually through the music, even when it may be the first time I've ever met them. So I'm honored and, and pleased to be able to, to serve as a musician, as a music therapist, and as a helper in the process of um, letting go of one's loved ones and, and saying goodbye. So it's been, it's been a great career path for me. Yeah, well, I grew up playing, uh, started with the piano, and I was a singer in, you know, church choirs and community mm-hmm. choirs and all of that. And when I got into those middle school band years, I picked up the flute only because my sister already had one. So that was an easy instrument to adopt. <laughs> My, my parents had five kids, so I think they went the easy route with everything they could buy and things like that. <laughs> so so then I picked up the flute and um, was very active in musical theater and um, did a lot of singing. Um, in high school, I was also in a bell choir where we were one of the few, few bell choirs that actually memorized all of the music, sang in four-part harmony, and switched bells for every song. <laughs> so it was. How many was people a, were in your bell choir? I think there was ten, either ten or twelve of us. Wow! And all of you sang all the parts. Yep, yep. And so that was a, a really cool experience. Mm. Um, and then uh, I decided to go to music school and become a music therapist. And there I was introduced to 
a little bit of everything. So I took a semester of drums. I took a semester of cello. I took semester, maybe less than a semester on a brass instrument. I had already had woodwind, so mm-hmm. that was fine. Uh, but then as a music therapist, we do a lot of drumming. So a lot of hand drums and hand percussion ah. and continued with piano and, and was certainly in the choirs. And, um, I was a music therapy major, and my primary instrument was voice. So that is kind of where I ended up. I, I picked up guitar in that training, and I've been playing guitar ever since. I would say that's probably my primary instrument now. And a couple of years ago, I also picked up uh, the ukulele, um, <laughs> which is actually quite different than the guitar. Um your fingers are in different places for different chords. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit of a mind meld to try and figure out <laughs> another string instrument. And I dabbled a little bit in a mandolin a couple of years ago, but I really have focused on, on guitar and voice and a little bit of ukulele now. I'd say, you yeah. have, I say you have a little obsession with music and that seems pretty cool. <laughs> I do. I do. It's, you know, music has been, uh, I, I can't even describe it. Music has been a friend to me in every mm-hmm. stage, good and bad, yep. in my life. Where'd you grow up? Where did you? Where did your life um, start? Yeah, I'm a Michigan girl. I was born in Ohio, then moved up to Michigan with my family in the, the early elementary years and stayed there and went to Western Michigan University and mm-hmm. um, moved to Chicago for an internship and um, just never left. It does, Everything it, I wanted was here. Yeah, Chicago know, has a tendency a to do that to team. people. Yep, yep. I had I had every intention of being a, you know a bit of a traveler for a while, but then then I got a job and I got friends and I was playing music in the music scene, and so I was very contented with with this town. So it worked out okay. Wonderful to have you around here. <laughs> That's yeah, cool. thank you. Uh, you spoke of your church. Uh, what is your church yeah. background? Well, I grew up Methodist and grew up in the church. I was very active in um, in the youth groups and in you know regular Sunday attendance. I remember asking my dad one time, you know, why do you drag us to this every Sunday morning? <laughs> you know, like what is the deal with this? And and he said that for himself, it was a it was kind of like a hard reset. It would prepare mm-hmm. him for the week. Mm-hmm. And um, he found it to be a very, um, a very useful ritual and activity to do every week in his life. And I never forgot that, you know, because we all need rituals to to make sense of crazy times. And and uh, and I think that you know his, his example was a great one to to say this is this is a way to be together in in community. Um, since that time, I um, met and married a guy who was raised uh, Jewish and, and humanist, and so we needed to find a uh, church community that was going to work for both of us. Mm-hmm. And um, so we are now uh, ha- have been um, participating in a Unitarian church for the last 20 years. And so he gets what he needs, and I get what I need. So it's a, a great place for us to be. That's where my mind went when you talked about your your when you talked about your husband. I thought, oh, she went. Yeah. she's Unitarian. I bet. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And, and and we love. We find a lot of very open thinkers and a lot of you know very useful ritual, even 
in a place where it's about spirit yep. and about loving one another and mm-hmm. about being together in community and doing the right thing. Sometimes I call it the church of the do the right thing. So um, <laughs> what role does uh, faith play in your practice of music therapy? Well, because I was raised in the church, um, that music is still very much a part of who I am and who I am as a musician. And so I am able to tap into that and use my experience in church music um, every day in my hospice work. And so uh, my faith community um, has very much informed my work as a, as a music therapist, of course. Um, and I'm glad to, to have the, the background as a Unitarian now, because that means that I can really um, tap into a very ecumenical uh, approach to music. Um, it doesn't matter what religion one of my patients is, I, I'm able to serve through a sense of spirit and through a sense of service and um, holding somebody in the music, whether that is uh, from a Christian faith or a, any other. So, you know, as they say, music is a universal language, and I certainly um, feel comfortable in being able to offer that mm. as a language. And and certainly tapping into my um, my growing up in the Christian tradition, I know all those old songs. So, How Great Thou Art and Amazing mm. Grace and, and some of the those besties, those top tens of, of uh, Christian music, if you will, uh-huh. the, the ones that people always ask for or are familiar with, um, are certainly in my repertoire, too. So when you're doing music therapy, you walk into a patient's room, are you given an, uh, like a, a little rundown on who that patient is? Or you get to talk to their family first? How do you, uh, how do you, you know, make this sure that this is therapeutic, I guess. Yes. And yes. And yes to your questions. I'm a part of the interdisciplinary team. I attend the rounds. Um, when I hear of a patient who is new to our service and is, uh, experiencing anxiety, um, uh, having trouble coping with this new diagnosis, even uh, the patients who are closer to end of life and are non-responsive and are no longer communicating, Mm. I'm able to um, assess that patient in the team environment and offer my suggestions on ways that I and my my colleagues can help. Mm. Um, Part of the assessment process is certainly talking to the family and asking them their background, what their interests are, what some of the struggles of the moment are that I can be aware of so that, that I can be as effective as possible. And certainly one of those main questions is, you know, what kind of music does this person like? What are they attracted right, to? What, right. You know, are they musicians themselves? Or did they ever sing in school choir? Or mm. just to get mm-hmm. a sense of what their background is, too. Yeah. So could you, for me, could you define what it what is music therapy? I mean, is there a uh, certain kind of definition? Because it, uh, people think that all you do is come in and you you play songs. Is it more? Than, it's got to be more than that. Um. So music therapy is the the practice of using music as a non-musical goal. Mm. We use music to make change happen. We use music for soothing. We use music to be the catalyst for change. Mm. So when somebody's anxious, it's my goal to help them calm and soothe. When they are um, not coping well with, say, a new, new move to a nursing care facility, then we're working on coping strategies and ways to make this transition easier. 
um, with a family, maybe it's, you know, really having a hard time letting go of this person and, and, um, and allowing life to, to move along the course towards the end. And so I may do something like, um, doing songwriting with a, with a family to have that piece of music as a way of marking time and marking the life of the loved one, telling the story of that loved one. And that's a lot more than just pretty music. You're very intentional about what it is that you're doing, you know, and I, and and I am, I mean, it gives me a whole different perspective hearing you talk about what you do. And because I've seen people come in with their guitars and they sing a little bit and uh, for some reason I didn't, I don't feel the same intentionality. Some people just go to entertain and mm-hmm. I, I, I know that's part of what you do is because you're trying to dig, you're trying to, at least in my mind, tell me if I'm wrong, that you're going in there to try and, and, and enter into a place in that person's life that brings them a great deal of comfort and care and love and all that. And, you know, sometimes you're, you can hit yeah. it right away. And sometimes I'm sure you have to go and uh, kind of play around a little bit, I guess you'd say, to find out where, yeah. where it is that you need to go. Absolutely. And, you know, and some people really just need some pretty music and some smiles. Yeah. And so some days that's what it looks like. But then there's other days when people need a lot more than that. Mm. Or, um, you know, my mind just went to one of my patients who's very confused. Um, She has very short-term memory now, and she wakes up every morning in the same place that she's been living for a couple of years. And it's a new day because she doesn't remember yesterday. And she wakes up in a bed she doesn't know to a staff that she doesn't recognize. And every day it's, a, you know, a, a bit of a trauma. It is frightening. And she's scared. Yes. It's, yeah, it's very frightening. And every time I go to see her, she doesn't really let me in because she's guarded and afraid. Mm-hmm. And after spending about an hour there playing all the old favorite songs, She's smiling, she's tapping her toe, she's making eye contact with other people, she's laughing. Exactly. And Perfect. you know what? Yep. We put pl- we played pretty songs. <laughs> <laughs> you know. This podcast was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Joliet, Illinois. Audio Hive Podcasting is a studio dedicated to podcast recording, editing, and production. For more information, you can find us at audiohivepodcasting.com. From listening to you, it's obvious that to you, this is deeper. You know, this is deeper than just playing songs, but it's connection and it is uh, healing for you. Is there a story? Oh, uh, Yeah, how did this... How did this begin for you? Is there any story that triggered you uh, joining this line of career? Well, yeah, actually there is. And um, I'd be happy also to share with you a link. Um, I was honored to be able to do a a TED Talk in the end of last year, and I told the story on the TED Talk. So you can share that also with your listeners if you want. In high school, I was in a... um, in a class that was designed to expose us to working with uh, the special needs kids in our district. And the class was uh, held in the the natatorium, the the pool area of the high school. 
And what we did is we would go swimming with these kids, and the uh, the teachers from the special needs classrooms would observe and, you know, be there and help the kids get dressed and in the pool and everything. But then it was us teenagers that would swim with the kids. And um, there was one boy that uh, was really uncomfortable. He never sort of settled into having fun. Well, all of his classmates were having a great time, you know, jumping around and splashing and everything. And he just couldn't get into that happy place mm-hmm. <laughs> with the water and with yep. the, the pool. And I realized, um, uh, I noticed that he was really sensitive. He was nonverbal. He was about seven years old. And um, he wasn't having any fun. And the teachers had to get in the pool with him. And one day I said, you know what, why don't you let me give it a try? You don't have to get you know, in the, in the pool and just let me do it and see if we can. And if that doesn't work, then fine, you know? And, and they said, okay, you know, if you're up for the challenge, no problem. I got in the pool with this little guy and, and I wrapped my, my arms around his elbows and had him lean back against my shoulder. So his face was up towards the ceiling, towards the the pool roof. And, um, he was squirming and he was uncomfortable and he didn't like what was going on. And then I just instinctively as a musician, I started singing to him in his ear mm-hmm. and his little body just relaxed all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And I thought, whoa, you know, <laughs> what, what was that? that um, something just happened here. I'm not quite sure what it was, <laughs> but something important happened. And so then it was just a couple of weeks later that, um, that I heard about this field called music therapy. And I think I was a junior in high school at the time. And I thought, okay, that's it. I found it. You know, wow. I'm a musician. I don't want. I don't want to be in the concert world my whole life. I don't want to be in the classroom mm. my whole life. And um, this is this is it. I can I can work in healthcare and bring music to people and help them get through whatever their struggle is of, of the moment. Yeah. So that's how I found it. it was, was early. When you started your career after your college experience. Uh, where do you go to find a, you know, you don't, are you doing this independently or do you do start this with a company, with a, a group? How did that begin? Well, in my college, you could become a teacher. Uh-huh. You could become a composer. You could become a performer or you could become a music therapist. And so as, and that is the case with any music therapist, you go, you have to go to a, a college that is a part of the, National Alliance for Schools of Music, and that through that program you can get a degree in music therapy, or it's a degree, usually a degree in music with a with a major in music therapy, such as you know an opera singer is a degree of music with a major in vocal performance. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So my my degree focus was music therapy, and through that, um, as part of the uh, the opportunity to get your degree, you have to do an internship. And so there are nationally recognized internships throughout the country that are affiliated mm. with National Association of School Music Programs who um, have a very specific curriculum dev- to, designed to prepare us to be practical music therapists out there in the community. So you can get an internship, say, in a psychiatric hospital. You can get an internship in a special education department. Mm. You Uh, can get an internship in a geriatric, uh, Uh you know, wherever you want to be, whatever whatever kind of role you want to 
specialize in, mm. you go and get your internship there. Now, I did my internship at a um, at an inpatient psychiatric hospital, and my unit was the adolescent unit, where we had um, mostly kids who were either a danger to self or a danger to others, which means they were either, you know, suicidal to some extent or homicidal to some extent. And um, here in Chicago, we had a lot of gangbangers and a lot of very sad, very, very sad, depressed, anxious uh, teenagers. So it was a, an interesting milieu to, to do my training in, especially because adolescents are, are so, um, uh, they're so affected by their music. I mean, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of adolescents identify, you know, who they are by who they listen to. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. So, so that was a great training for every other area of, of my work because I had I had that intense training right off the bat and I mm. could go anywhere from there. Yeah. So, so when you were looking at all of these options, what made you or what called you, what told you to go to this internship with that group of kids? Well, it's fascinated by how music could affect change for this group. Okay. Um and and how very uh, how very dark those the, the the work was for for these kids and and how much I felt compelled to be able to help mm-hmm. and that you know I mean when you're just out of college you're just a post teenager yourself <laughs> so so you know you can kind of identify with a group I mean it's, it's only five years before I'd been an adolescent myself right mm. so um working with, with that group. And then also that we had children at that facility and also adults and substance abuse programs and, and, you know, the whole, whole model of care for, for mental health. And music is an incredible, incredibly evocative and provocative stimulus. Yeah. And when you use it in a way that, um, is, is directed and purposeful, then you can really see light bulbs of insight go off, mm. and those those um, those walls of of um, isolation that people have put up to, to protect themselves, you can get through it through those walls pretty quickly when when the stimulus is right. Yeah, you know so, you you articulated something. Like you articulated something earlier where you said that uh, the songs they listen to uh, has relationship to their identity. Yeah. So could you explain yeah. more on that? Well, when you were growing up, what did you listen to? Let me ask you, Saul. Uh, some African songs, some <laughs> upbeat songs. <Yeah. laughs> okay, so when yeah. you hear those African songs now, does that take you back to where you were at that time in your life? Yes, I begin to dance. Makes yeah. me happy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So the music that you grew up with, reflected your experience at the time, right? Yes. I mean, think about the music that, that, um, that we're looking at today. The music reflects the experience. It's, yeah. it's a model of, of self-expression. And some of that self-expression is expressing joy and beauty and dancing, and some of it expresses pain and hardship and loneliness. And we all have all of those different times. I know uh, you mentioned yeah. some of it earlier, but uh, what are the goals of hospice music therapy 
in general? It depends on the needs of the patient. So yeah, yeah. I may be looking at um, working with people to reduce their anxiety, to reduce, certainly reduce their pain. When, when we can provide an alternate stimulus that, uh, that helps somebody pay attention to that stimulus, such as listening to somebody play music or playing along, um, engaging the the hands in um, playing and participating, say the drums or xylophone or some other simple instrument, that can take the attention away from that that mm. throbbing body part that is so um, you know hot <laughs> and so <laughs> uncomfortable. So um, pain, anxiety, certainly agitation, shortness of breath, um, certainly coping for the family coping for the person. I've done a lot of work with um, creating um, playlists mm-hmm. for patients as dedications to their family members as a way of saying goodbye. Wow. Oh, that is cool. So, wow. Yeah, so we can put together a whole album of songs for each family member, and that becomes a legacy project um, that wow. the family has yeah. even after they're gone. So yeah. you, you, let's, okay. They call you up. They say, hey, Victoria, we have this patient. We'd like you to come visit. What kind of an, mm-hmm. assess- what kind of an assessment do you do? I mean, how thorough are you? What do you do? What do you, you know, Can you explain how you yeah, go about well, getting that? The- go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk to the team about what the needs are in the moment, because when you're working in hospice care, that's usually what we're looking at. We're not looking at goal areas for treatment for six months down the line, you know. We're looking at what does this person need today and why are you calling me? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. And and um, then I look at the medical record and get a sense of what's been going on lately for this patient. And then I also talk to the family whenever I can and get an interest. So it's a, a, a an interest survey, a cognitive behavioral kind of assessment, um, a, a neurological assessment, um, and then certainly um, interests and, and uh, their background, their faith, what kind of church they attended. Because mm. if I'm going to sit down and play music for somebody um, who has, for example, a cross hanging on their wall, that gives me some information about what kind of music I can play. Um, mm. And that will be useful and comforting to that person. Mm. So it's, it's a... It, for some patients, it's a very quick assessment because they only have a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. For some, we can spend a couple weeks together really getting to know each other. And um, that's one of the things I always explain is that I'd like to know what all of your music is so that when we, we can't have this conversation anymore, when we're down the line, that I can play for you the music that, that you enjoy. Um, and that's really also a powerful opportunity for people to start uh, talking about um, what they're going through. Mm. I yeah. like your attention to detail, though. You, you're very thorough, and that's, that's really good. Well, and again, that's, that's the difference between music therapy and, say, a music volunteer or a, um, you know, a very loving family member who comes in and plays guitar for their auntie, you know, or whoever. Mm. Um, it's, it's a different kind of service using the same tool of music. Yeah. To make change happen. Yeah. yeah. Have you been playing and all of a sudden your patient dies? Have you been there? I I, I believe I have. Mm. It doesn't happen very often. No, no. But I can oh. say, 
Yeah, it doesn't happen very often when I'm in the moment there. Mm. Though I have, you know, looked back at uh, the team emails or the chart to, at the end of the day, look at, you know, sort of wrapping up the day and notice that within a couple hours of, of my leaving the home that the person has passed. Mm-hmm. So I've been there certainly in the last hours. Um, there was a lady a few weeks ago who I went in to see, and um, and I believe that she had passed a moment before I walked in the door, if not when I was there, when I was talking to the family. So certainly, you know, those those moments are there. Um, it doesn't happen very often. Um, yeah. I just was curious because that's a very powerful moment. I'm just thinking about, you know, someone is there who is so relaxed and so... Yeah. And all of a sudden they just decide to let go. And Mm -hmm. I could see that could be Mm -hmm. something that might happen during one of your Mm -hmm. sessions or your, Mm -hmm. because there are very unusual things that we don't know what's going on. Right. Well, and I I can tell you that, you know, I've walked into a a room full of people who are um, there together, you know, doing the waiting thing. At, that families tend to do, that they're all, that they've all been called to town and they're all there and they're all assembled. And it's just waiting now, right? And that can be really difficult and very, um, it's also very special and very beautiful. And I see it as, as my job to try and make it special and beautiful as opposed to um, painful. And so I, I have a, one thing that I do fairly often in that situation is I, I play a certain song and kind of introduce the song. Um, you might be familiar with it. It's um, Peace Like a River. Yes. Peace Like a River is a great improvisational song because I, I may sing that and hold the space and sort of create the mood for the family and invite them to, to be quiet in, in their hearts and in their minds and just be together for a little bit. Mm. And then go through and ask the family, you know, what is a wish that you would have for this person in this moment? And then I'm able to incorporate that, that wish into the poetry of the song mm. and really song right on the spot and improvise and share that wish and that thought for the family member through song. And it's, you know, it can be a very cathartic moment for some people. Wow. Yeah. So I feel very much in service. That, during, that is, during those last days that they're together. That's very impressive. And the ability to write songs on the spot, that's, that's a bonus. But what are the challenges that hospice music therapists face in this job? Mm, you know, I, I would say that the, the challenge is the same challenge that all music therapists have, and, and that is still not really being understood. <laughs> yeah. You know? So I, I've spent, you know, this time with you explaining my work. Um, if you came with me for 20 minutes, you'd completely get it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, we don't have that opportunity. So people that aren't educated to what the work is all about don't understand it and think it is just pretty songs. Hmm. Um, so we work really hard to, to communicate the, the efficacy of this programming and that it really is. I mean, we are we started, this profession started in the medical model. Um, mm. Music therapists were born out of um, the nursing profession. Nurses 
and the VA hospitals after World War II, noticing that when, you know, one or two of them would bring their guitars to work and hang out and play music for their patients, that their patients were doing better. Mm. And they went, whoa, what is happening here? And they started measuring it. So, and we've been measuring it ever since. And now we've got, we've got MRI machines to, to inform us as to what's really happening in there at a neural level. So I, I think that um, when people take the time to read the research and understand what the work is, um, then that's great. So I always encourage, you know, my, my nursing colleagues and my, my social work and chaplain colleagues and counselor colleagues to, to come with to conferences or sit in on case studies and, and really get a sense of what this is all about. Yeah. But then I also am a part of the team at Amita Health. And so we're a part of uh, that system of hospitals and hospices mm. that's inclusive of, it was, it used to be Alexian Brothers and right. Adventist Hospitals and Present. So those three systems are now one big um, hospital system. And so we have uh, several team members in these different areas of the hospice and we're all out there doing great work. Um, I'm really honored to be a part of it. It's one of the largest health systems in Illinois, and we're committed to extending that quality care um, for people when they leave the house, uh, when they leave the hospital, and may be limited to their house and need need additional services, either in home health or in palliative care, and then, of course, in hospice. So, um, yeah, it's a good team. Excellent, excellent yeah. to be part are, are of something. There, are there some uh, inspirational stories that you've seen over the years? as you practiced music therapy in healthcare? Well, the first, I mean, there's an inspirational story every day. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, call me at five o'clock and I'll give you another one, <laughs> you know, this afternoon, because that's just how it works. That's, that's mm. what the work is. Um, the, the first one that came to mind is, was this very sweet woman that I went to visit. And um, she she spent a lot of time in her home alone because she was able to still be on her own. She's not uh, at, a, at a stage of her illness that she couldn't be left alone. So she spent a lot of time, um, you know, watching TV and hanging out in her house. And I came by and offered her a very different stimulus and a different level of conversation, different level of inquiry. And she was delighted to tell me her life story. And that ended up turning into a song. We wrote a song together about her life. Then I took those, those words and that music and um, went into my DIY studio and recorded it for her. And um, then I was at my own band rehearsal one night and I got my bass player to lay down a track on that. And so we had bass and drums and myself on guitar and voice. And then I added another voice as a backup singer kind of sound. And, and I gave that to her and she was delighted. I mean, she had her own song. She had her own customized song that she was able to share with her family. And in the process of that, that songwriting, it started out with, you know, what was her story when she was a little girl and what was it like when she grew up and then she had children of her own and then her husband passed away. And it was at the end, it was the words of wisdom that she wanted to leave with her children as to how to continue to live a good life. And that was, it brought meaning to, you know, to this stage right now. And it really wrapped it up in a nice, nice artistic way for her. And she was delighted to get it. And her sons were 
were delighted as well. Yeah. Better known as Eleanor Rigby, huh? Yeah, no, it's more like uh, Conway Twitty, if you will. Oh, okay. Some, something like it was. It was a, a very, very fun down home country song that we wrote. Ah, that's with, cool. With advice, uh, advice to the kitties. Yeah, yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah. Uh huh. Man, you do, you do inspirational yeah. stuff. Yes, it's I. How yeah. you know you you haven't spoke much about it, and it's because I don't know why, but you did speak of your faith background. I mean. That's got to help you support you during these times when you see folks that are struggling, hurting, sure. uh, in pain. And, and how does that influence your, your music at all or your therapy? Well, uh, you know, what, what my faith practice or my faith background is, um, I don't share with the people that I work with because it's not mm-hmm. about me. It's about them. Exactly. You know, it's not about me. Yeah. It's no. not about my beliefs. So, but I do feel like doing this kind of work um, is absolutely a spiritual practice for me. And I do get to visit my old songs from my youth, (laughs) (laughs) which are more God-centered than my Mm -hmm. adult life has right now, you know? Right. And so those are wonderful for me to to visit as a a spiritual person that is very open-minded as well. Mm -hmm. And whenever um, somebody introduces me to another song from another culture or another religion, I love it, you know, and I just oh, sure. soak that up. So um, I think that, that it's, this is one of my ways of being in the act of service and in the act of, of being spiritual um, mm-hmm. through my music for, for the people I serve. And actually, um, just thinking of this, you know, one of the things that I've learned to do over the years um, is to just be quiet and wait for the song idea to come to me. And sometimes I think maybe that's divine intervention and maybe it's, you know, good um, musical instinct, if you will, that mm-hmm. I've developed. But when a song definitely comes to mind, sometimes like Sunshine on My Shoulders by John Denver, then I'll go with it because mm-hmm. it's it's not, it's it's a song of nature and beauty, not necessarily mm. of um, God and ritual, but certainly everybody has nature and beauty in their life, and they can tap into that. And if they translate it as the work of God, then that's fantastic. what they do exactly. Yep. And so, so I just try and be very open and allow people to to bring the religion to the session if that's what they want, and if they don't then we don't have to go there. No. You know? So um, lots of kinds of music and lots of kinds of ritual. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go, though, I want you to, to talk to those hospice agencies that do not have music therapy on board. Could you explain to them? <laughs> uh, yeah, you have a voice because you're a master at this. <laughs> Can oh, <come> you <laughs> talk to them about... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the importance well, of one, having one thing. Mm-hmm. One thing that I can say that I I feel that I can do as a member of my hospice team and my interdisciplinary team is that you know when there's no words left, there's still music, and for many of our patients, when they're getting closer to the end, there are no words left, right? Mm-hmm. And um, my my chaplaincy colleagues can sit and pray with a patient and be. My social work colleagues 
um, maybe the work that they've been doing is kind of wrapping up and all the T's are crossed and the, uh, the I's are dotted and everything's in line. And so just being is fine also. Um, though I feel like I can offer that level of care for a long time in the process. So especially for our patients who have dementia and other, other um, brain disorders, um, we can be in the music and have a full conversation without any words anymore. There's a, there's a lady that I worked with this week that um, her, her Alzheimer's is advanced to the point where words don't really make sense, but she doesn't know that she doesn't make sense. So she's talking and having full sentences, um, but it doesn't make any sense. And when we start singing together, she's got the words again, you know, because mm-hmm. the body has retained that memory. And we'll sing full songs together and we'll, we'll laugh and, and I'll say, what song are we going to do now? And, and she'll say something that doesn't make any sense, and, but it maybe sounds like something. And I'll go there and she's like, yes, that's it. You know, so, so the communication can stay a lot longer. And we, we certainly have a, a sense of um, a picture of the patient that I think that some people don't get to, to see. And that is the smiles and the laughter and the joy. Um, that may not be there in, in the other um, the other medical fields. They, they might not see that. So it's really good for the team to know that that person is still still in there <laughs> and yeah. still, you know, able to feel and able to, to experience comfort and joy. And certainly for the families when they see it, it's just, you know, really, really powerful because they're so glad to see their family person, their family member, you know, living in personhood, not just in a medical contained kind of environment. So it's, yeah. it's wonderful to hear stories of, a company such as who you work for, who is open to something that is not traditional, per se. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I've seen it in my ministry that I do with my dog, my pet therapy. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it, it, people look at that and say, why a dog? And it's more or less like saying, why a cat? Why a, why a guitar? Why, you know, mm-hmm. a clarinet mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. because... There's so much we know about what we can connect with that other person. I've seen those mm-hmm. things that you've been talking about where people respond to your music and your presence right. and in ways that will cause the caregiver to be in shock because of what you've done. And right. that, that those are yep. incredibly powerful wonderful stories that everybody needs to hear because you don't know what's going to touch someone. Right. So how do you yep. how and, do you take care of yourself? Uh, right. Because patients die. <clears throat> how do you take care of it? It looks like you really build intimate connections with these patients. You write songs yeah. for them to remember the moment by. And when they die, mm-hmm. how do you take care of yourself? How do you cope? Well, I think that I just, I recognize the role that I've stepped into, you know. Uh, I think that... Um, it's really important to to notice your feelings around that, um, but also this is a professional role, right? I mean, this is mm-hmm. not my family members. This is, this is not my family. You know, I'm I'm in service of others. I'm yeah. bringing something, and when that relationship closes, that relationship is closed. 
And whatever I've learned or whatever I've developed with that person, I get to take to my next patient and maybe try that, you know, something different musically that I had learned from the last person. And so I feel like it's a cumulative knowledge. Um, and I also, I also know that, um, you know, I'm not the only person doing this work. And if I really need some help and supervision, then my teammates are there. Um, certainly the chaplains. I mean, that's a big part of, of your, your role is, is supporting staff. So I think it's important to do this work within the context of the team because then we can all be there for each other mm. um, and, and utilize those resources. I'm also in a really super fun, great rock band. Okay, <laughs> great so outlet. <laughs> I, yeah, I play very joyful, fun music when I'm not at work. You know, so I'm, music is, is my love and I explore it in many different ways. And, uh, and, and it's funny. And my sister said to me, you know, gosh, all of the songs that you write, they're so sad. I'm like, well, don't worry. They're not all about me. They're just, you know, there's the way that I process my work. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I, I meet interesting people with sad stories and I think about that and I write a song around it and, and it helps me to honor them and also release them from my own sort of, you know, psyche, if you will. Um, so I've got a couple different ways that, that I do do take care of myself. Um, it's important to try and not take your work home with you in this work. Mm -hmm. but, you know, and besides, nobody really wants to hear about it, actually, because it's hard. And most people don't. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yes. And so oh. First thing that'll stop a party conversation is, yeah, I work in hospice. Oh, <laughs> bye. So, Every time. Nobody wants Every time. <laughs> So, oh, Victoria, so before we go, I have two questions for you. The first is, what's your signature song? What's my signature song? You're yeah. asking a music therapist their, their signature hey, song. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is, that's, I'm the worst person to ask that song <laughs> because yeah. I have so many. I have so many. Okay, yeah. uh, like I said, I'll follow my musical instincts, my, my divine inter intervention here. Uh -huh. And... Um, the one, the one that always pops to mind is this. You've got to get up every morning with a smile on your face and show the world all love in your heart. Because people going to treat you better. You're going to find, yes, you will, that you're beautiful as you feel. How about that? Wow, that is you. powerful. You know, for okay, me, okay. When, when I'm on hospice and the music therapist comes, I want to hear, I like to move it, move it. I like to move it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that will get me dancing on my deathbed. That, there you go. There you go. Yeah, one, so, one more chasse down the hall. There yeah, you go. Yeah, that's good. So how can people find you? Uh, any events, any upcoming events or anything? Well, um... There's, there's several ways to find me. One of them is through my music website, which is victoriastormmusic.com. And I do speaking events. And like I mentioned, I have a band and I have a trio. And so I'm an active performer out there in the world. I'm also um, a podcast uh, host myself for a podcast called Songs of Healing. And that's at songsofhealing.com. 
But of course, if you're interested more specifically in um, the hospice work and getting a, a hold of me in that realm, then uh, it would be through Amita Hospice, A-M-I-T-A. Um, Cause that's where I do this work every day. And uh, the private practice is all the other extra things on top of the, the primary work that I do. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Victoria. Victoria, you uh, have a good day. I mean, <laughs> rest once in a while. Uh, yeah, I know. That's that's the one thing I'm not very good at. <laughs> yeah. So thank I have, you much. I have slept with like 10 hours nights these last couple of days. So I, I, I make up for it. Yeah. It's been a joy to talk to you both. Thank you uh, thank so you much. So much. Joe. Thank you so much, Saul. <laughs> have a great welcome. rest of your day. Appreciate it. You too. Bye-bye now. Okay, bye-bye. That was Victoria Storm, a music therapist and the founder of Oak Park Music Therapy. You can find her at oakparkmusictherapy.com. Thank you very much for joining us and for listening to this episode. This show is recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting Studios, and our engineer is Brian McKinder. Thank you for listening.